All right, folks. Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. As always, I'm your host, Jason Van Tatum. Coming to you from a cold, gray, and snowing spring Monday, May 2nd, here in Estes Park, Colorado. I can't tell. I did get my new mini MPK Akaya MIDI keyboard in this weekend. So I've been playing around with that pretty much nonstop. Other than yesterday. Yesterday was my wife's birthday. And since it was the first birthday since, you know, she died uh, momentarily, I thought it would be important to uh, to really make it a special day, kind of an, uh, a rebirth day so to say. And she's been doing great health-wise. So we really want to just spend some family time. We also had prom up here in Estes Park, Colorado. Prom for the uh, for the school district here this year was at the Stanley. And, uh, you know, my, my middle daughter, Luck, she went out with her boyfriend and her friends and had a great time. So, all right. Well, today we're going to do, uh, we're not going to focus on Estes Park. Today I want to focus on some national news that's been happening that I have kind of an inside tie to. For those of you who've been following my uh, my work for a while, you know that um, I just went out to D.C. last March to testify before Congress, the congressional investigators, um, giving a historical context to the Oath Keepers and had quite a bit of national coverage. You know, it was had a clip on Good Morning America, was on Nightline a couple times, the Hulu documentary, um, standoff to, uh, rebellion, um, and, uh, you know, several feature articles written. And so, you know, because of my time with the Oath Keepers, I I feel it gives me some, some perspective, be it a comment on some of the happenings that are going on, um, in the courts now. Um, and we had some news this weekend, so we're going to get into that. You know, I've also been working on this book. The uh, the book I'm working on that I signed a contract with Skyhorse is is about the my time with the Oath Keepers. It's uh, the working titles. We're kind of jumping between the propagandist and um, selling the revolution. Um, so I've been working on that. I also just got some been invited to speak um, at a. It'll be the dinner section of a of a um, a conference. It's happening in Milwaukee. I'm going out on. I think it's June 14th. I just got the the ticket arrangements and stuff put in and uh, be traveling out there um, to speak with Georgetown Law during one of their events uh, as the dinner speaker. Um, and from my understanding, it's going to be, you know, governor's offices and attorney general's offices and, and local government kind of just talking about the dangers of, of extremism and um, how we might be able to move forward in better ways. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm sure I'll podcast while I'm out there and stuff. But kind of a interesting note. I will be staying at the old Paps Blue Ribbon um, Brewery, which they've converted into some uh, some hotel. It looks like a hipster hotel, but it looks kind of cool. You know, I never I, the only time I've ever really been able to travel all that much has been when I was working for the Oath Keepers. That was one of the the draws. Um, but you know. Uh, there, like I said, there's been some some breaking news um, with that the case that the Department of Justice is being forward against Stuart Rhodes and um, some of the other people involved. You know, the the 
the media calls them, you know, national leadership. And and really, you got to have an understanding that really the Oath Keepers, any sort of leadership on a national level comes directly and from Stuart Rhodes. Stuart Rhodes is the Oath Keepers um, when it comes to leadership. And that's that's by design. Um, but they're beginning to, you know, they, they've they brought the most complicated um, uh, prosecution, I think, in the history of the Justice Department. Um, for what happened um, on January 6th and uh, the seditious conspiracy charges. So let's just jump into that and talk about what has happened. Um, Specifically Friday, it was announced. And uh, I'm just going to read from a a CNN piece here about it. But before we get into that, I just want to thank our uh, podcast sponsor, Real Mountain Theater and the Historic Park Theater. Um, who are sponsoring the podcast and wanted to say, man, I am so excited about this uh, release. It's coming up Friday, the new Dr. Strange. I think I'm going to go see that and probably review it, talk about it a little bit afterwards. Don't worry. I I say I won't do any spoilers, but inevitably I always spoil the whole movie. So I strongly recommend you don't listen to anything I say about the movie once I've seen it. Once it's out because, uh, yeah, I may ruin some shit. So... Anyway, um, <clears throat> thank you to the uh, the theaters, and uh, maybe come out. I'll, I'll let you know when I'm going to go to that movie on Friday, and uh, maybe some of you can join me in that. We can go uh, watch the movie together, kind of a, a coming back to the uh, coming back to normal a little bit, and uh, get out there and and uh, watch a movie premiere. Man, do you remember what that was like? I kind of remember. All right, let's get back into this cover the uh the piece i want to do the news story all right so this is coming off of a a cnn piece um by hannah rabinowitz and it was uh released saturday april 30th and um the headline is Oathkeeper pleads guilty to seditious conspiracy as pressure intensifies against right-wing extremist group and i'm just going to read it for you Brian Ulrich, and I'll put it. I'll, I'll put the. Uh, I'll put the link into the article notes, the show notes down below, so you can just see it for yourself. Brian Ulrich, one of el- the eleven members of the Oath Keepers facing sedition-related charges, pleaded guilty to obstruction of an official proceeding and seditious conspiracy in federal court on Friday, becoming the second person to plead guilty to the gravest charge to emerge from the January 6, twenty twenty-one, U.S. Capitol attack. According to the plea agreement, Ulrich 44 will cooperate with the Justice Department in its historic prosecution against the far-right extremist organization. He could face more than six years in prison, according to the deal read aloud during Wednesday's hearing. But prosecutors may ask for a lower sentence depending on Ulrich's level of cooperation. The guilty plea is another major step in the criminal case against the Oath Keepers as the prosecutors work to show how they believe the group of men plotted to stash weapons across the Potomac River go to the Capitol and stop Congress's certification of the Electoral College vote. The case has grown dramatically over the past year, relying in part on explosive private messages between Oath Keepers leaders, video of the group from the week they were in D.C., and the cooperation of at least six other Capitol riot defendants with ties to the Oath Keepers organization. The plea comes nearly two months after fellow Oath Keeper Joshua James, who served as a private security for the far-right figures around January 6th, pleaded guilty to sedition-related charges. 
Did you do that? Agree with Oath Keepers leader Stuart Rhodes and develop a plan to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power by force on January 6, 2021? U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta asked during the hearing on Friday. Yes, Your Honor, Ulrich said. Rhodes, who is also charged with seditious conspiracy, has pleaded not guilty. Ulrich, who at times appeared to be crying during the hearing, also agreed that he intended to influence and affect conduct of the United States government and to retaliate against the United States government. At one point, Meta asked whether Ulrich needed time to gather himself. Ulrich initially declined, saying it's not going to get any easier, but later accepted, taking a moment to audibly weep and gasp for air. Ulrich, who is from Georgia, was part of an Oath Keepers leadership signal chat where he, Rhodes, and others planned for January 6th. The messages, which are quoted in court documents, show how Ulrich repeatedly asked about bringing guns to D.C. as part of a quick reaction force. Someone can tell me if I'm crazy, but I'm planning on having a backpack for regular use and then a separate backpack for my ammo. Ulrich messaged the leadership chat in late December, adding that I will be the guy running around with the budget AR. In another message, days later, Ulrich asked Joshua James about firearms and a potential plan to stage them in Virginia. Other messages that Ulrich sent to members of the Oath Keepers Georgia group said that civil war might be necessary if then-President-elect Biden was inaugurated. We must win. We must defeat these radicals, Ulrich wrote in one message. There's treason at work here. When someone committed treason, it used to mean something. You used to pay for it with your life. In another message, Ulrich referenced a Ruby Ridge scenario that we can rally behind. Ulrich, James, and Oath Keeper Mark Grodds traveled to D.C. together on January 4th. In his own plea agreement, James admitted to bringing a semi-automatic handgun on the trip and said Grodds and others brought firearms, including a rifle, a shotgun, a semi-automatic handgun, and ammunition to a Virginia hotel. Grodds has also pleaded guilty and is cooperating with the investigation. On January 6th, Ulrich, James, Grodds, and others rushed to the Capitol in golf carts during the siege, swerving around law enforcement. When they arrived, the group maneuvered through the mob, with their hands on each other's shoulders and eventually breach the building. All right. Well, so that's that stack that we saw, that military stack or wedge um, of the, the folks in the um, the tactical gear going up the steps of the Capitol that became one of those iconic images of the six. Now, these things are, you know, this is kind of par for course. And Stuart Rhodes, who's the person that I know out of all these people. I mean, he's the one that I used to, um, it all started when I got, um, embedded with Stuart as he drove down to Bundy Ranch um, for the uh, the standoff. It was the second part of Bundy Ranch. So I got there just uh, just after that the iconic standoff that happened with, you know, you had people like Eric Parker and the militia folks that were splayed out in prone positions above on the, the overpass on the highway above um, this pen where the uh, BLM agents, the, the Bureau of Land Management, not Black Lives Matter, Bureau of Land Management, and um, Forest Service employees, um, uh, officers, law enforcement officers, had penned up some cattle. And um, so I got there afterwards, and and I wound up covering Bundy Ranch, and then shortly after the Sugar Pine Mine incident, which happened up in Oregon, and then um, the White Hope Mine back in Montana. And uh, after that... Um, I actually began writing for the Oath Keepers and was an associate editor for a while and created videos and whatnot. It was a job. And, um, you know, it, the Oath Keepers is ever becoming more and more radicalized. 
Um, and and we see, I see anyway, you know, th- this quick reaction force that Stuart talks about and these Oath Keepers talk about in these indictments. They, they, these are things that have been practiced again and again, that he is, uh, he being Stuart, had um, oftentimes talked about quick reaction forces and um, putting people close by. I saw this at Bundy Ranch. Actually, I'm just working on one of the chapters on my book. Um, and it's beginning, you know, it's, it's four or five chapters in. So it's, you know, still early on and talking about my experience at the, the Bundy Ranch. And, you know, from that point on, he still, you know, there there was a communications hub that he had set up at a hotel uh, casino outside of Bundy Ranch, where they kind of had a ham radio um, uh, communication center um, with, you know, a big, big antenna and stuff so that they could use their little handheld balfangs, you know, every time you see some of these, these events happening, these armed standoffs, you always see the guys with the little radios and those are little ham handheld ham radios and um so that's that's part of the gig but they also had you know people there they he had people at the um casino uh ready to go if need be um you know and that was after he made a big show we went to bundy ranch and he made a big shows all during a windstorm the day first day we got there and after there was a, a a scuffle when we first got there there was like a fist fight breaking out like an old school high school fist fight um, from one of the, the Oath Keeper members. And um, it was a, a group of like actual racists, you know, actual, um, you know, white power militia guys that had gotten into it in, with one of the older members of the Oath Keepers. And that, that's how we kind of pulled up to the scene. But after that settled down, Stuart made a big show of setting up, um, you know, tents and whatnot in the camp. And you got to understand like the, the camp where all the militia guys were staying was basically a, a gravel pit, a sand pit um, on the property there at the, uh, the, the Bunkerville ranch that the Bundy family had. And, uh, you know, he set up like a media tent and his own tent and everyone was there. But once it was all set up, he, he took everyone and we went back to the casino. I think it was called Three Rivers Casino. And, uh, you know, he got rooms for everyone. There was already, you know, membership people who you would call the um the leadership you know different local chapters you know they were already set up there at the the casino so he made this big show of it and then you know just left so what i'm getting at is that there we've seen a lot of what is being discussed in the investigation and the the case against Stuart Rhodes um having had seeds planted way back even at Bundy Ranch when it comes to, you know, tactically how he has people pulled back um, and and ready for a quick reaction force, you know, stashes of, of more weapons and such and and, you know, just infrastructure gear for communication and food and all of that. So let's go ahead and, and I'm going to read to you from the. Uh, this is a statement of offense um in the united states district court for the district of columbia case number 22-cr-15 in parentheses apm and it's the uh the indictment of, of brian ulrich um and um so the statement of the offense 
is pursuant to a federal rule of criminal procedure 11, the United States of America by and through its attorney in the United States attorney for the district of Columbia and the defendant, Brian Ulrich with the concurrence of his attorneys agrees and stipulates the below factual basis for the defendant's guilty plea. And, and that's what happened. He, he pleaded guilty to this. Um, and he's the second one to do this. So they're kind of tightening the noose around Stewart at this point. He's, they're t- taking down the guys around him. And they're going to take and use that to build a better case against Stewart himself. Um, so if this, and it, it continues reading, if this case were to proceed to trial, the parties stipulate that the United States could prove the below facts beyond a reasonable doubt. And it starts off with an introduction, a power transfer of presidential power in the United States, which just kind of goes over the ratification um, of a new president coming in and the stuff with the vice president and whatnot. So we're going to just skip over that part. It's it's only a couple paragraphs and get right to the meaty bits, which uh, starts with plot to oppose by force the 2020 lawful transfer of presidential power. The 2020 United States presidential election occurred on November 3rd, 2020. As of November 7th, 2020, the incumbent president, Donald J. Trump, was projected to have lost a presidential election. After the presidential election, Brian Aldrich, Elmer Stewart Rhodes III, and others conspired to oppose by force the lawful transfer of presidential power. Rhodes, a 55-year-old resident of Granbury, Texas, is the founder and leader of the Oath Keepers, a large but loosely organized collection of individuals, some of whom are associated with militias. Now, Rhodes used to live in my basement. He That wound up because, first off, I'm a sucker. A, yes, I'm a sucker. And B, his wife had finally had enough. And um, she filed for divorce and kicked him out of the house and, um, attempted to gain a restraining order. I actually wound up testifying a little bit in their divorce hearings and could only really testify to the things that I had seen. And there were allegations of abuse with his kids. Um, I had never seen any physical abuse. I had seen certainly yelling and, and emotional stuff. And now later on, I, I, I do feel bad about, uh, that I wish, um, maybe I had been more vocal that it could have been there. Um, And I certainly believe his wife when she's talking about that stuff now. And so I definitely owe Tasha an apology on that. And, um, you know, I, all I can do is testify on the things that I had seen and heard with my own eyes and ears. And that's what I did at that trial. But looking back now, um, I think it would have been better, especially for the kids, seeing how they well they're doing now and just, you know, kind of getting back to a normal life. Um, I think it was a very hard time for for Tasha and the kids. And uh, I, I wish them the best with uh, moving forward. I think we're all anyone who's kind of associated with the Oath Keepers during that period of time is is doing some some real soul searching and, and trying to move forward in much better ways. I know I am. Um <clears throat> So, uh, yeah, Ulrich, getting back to this, Ulrich, a 44-year-old resident of Guyton, Georgia, was a member of the Georgia chapter of the Oath Keepers. Some members of the Oath Keepers believe that the federal government has been co-opted by a cabal of elites actively trying to strip American citizens of their rights. And that, that 
that rings so true. I mean, you have to understand so much of what the the Oath Keepers and the the, the organizations and people around this kind of right wing violent side militia side of things. So much of of their worldview and just um, is is driven by these kind of insane conspiracy theories. And it's easy when you're outside of that kind of those echo chambers to kind of well, that's just crazy. But I could tell you once you're when you're in that kind of echo chamber and and you don't really have you know wider connections to to people outside of those communities, um, it can be easy to be sucked into that sort of thing. And um, so, but yeah, I mean that that's uh, that statement right there really rings true to me because it it's so much of what motivates these groups is is these conspiracy theories that. Um, things like a cabal of elites actively trying to strip American citizens of their rights. And it, it, trust me, that's like, that's just the, the, the top layer. It go, those rabbit holes go so much deeper. All right, back to this. Though the Oath Keepers will accept anyone as members, they explicitly focus on recruiting current and former military, law enforcement, and first responder personnel. The organization's name alludes to the oath sworn by the members of the military and police to defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. On their website, the Oath Keepers declare that they will not obey unconstitutional orders. Ulrich agreed to take part in a plan developed by Rhodes to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power by January 20th, 2021. By deploying force to prevent, hinder, and delay the execution of the laws of the United States governing the transfer of presidential power. Rhodes, Ulrich, and other co-conspirators used encrypted and private communications, equipped themselves with a variety of weapons. And that those, those private communications that are encrypted, um, that's mainly based in Signal, which is an app that journalists use and, and uh, other people. I actually showed Stuart signal for the first time they, he was using something else at one point. And, um, you know, from, from my days doing, uh, alternative journalism work, I, uh, I knew about signal and, um, uh, yeah, I think I actually was the one who mentioned signal to him the first time. Equipped themselves with a variety of weapons, donned combat and tactical gear, and were prepared to answer Rhodes' call to take up arms. Members of the conspiracy amassed firearms on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. Some distributed across, across hotels and quick reaction force, or QRF, teams, and planned, if called upon, to use them in support of the plan to halt the lawful transfer of presidential power. Ulrich conspired to use force and did in fact use force in order to prevent, hinder, and delay the execution of the laws governing the transfer of power. Ulrich corruptly obstructed, influenced, and impeded an official proceeding that is a proceeding before Congress, specifically Congress's certification of the Electoral College vote as set out in the 12th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States and 3 U.S. Code 15 through 18. Brian Ulrich's participation in the seditious conspiracy. Before January 6, 2021, Ulrich and others prepare to keep President Trump in power. Beginning in November 2020, Rhodes began disseminating messages on invitation-only encrypted group chats and on an application called Signal. See, there you go. 
that encourages co-conspirators to oppose by force the lawful transfer of presidential power. One such group chat was titled Oath Keepers of Georgia. On November 29, 2020, Ulrich joined the Oath Keepers of Georgia group chat using at various times monikers such as Bilbo Baggins and Moan Labe. On December 5th, 2020, Ulrich messaged the Oath Keepers of Georgia signal group chat, I seriously wonder what it would take just to get every patriot marching around the Capitol armed, just to show our government how powerless they are. That if they continue to rape our Constitution, these are the folks who they will be dealing with. Another member of the chat responded, As long as we are working, not starving, and not getting rounded up, there will never be a revolution. We have too much to lose, and they know it. Ulrich then stated, There's nothing I own that's destined to go with me into the next life. On December 9, 2020, Ulrich purchased from tacticalgear.com the following. Mission made Hellfox fingerless gloves, a combat long sleeve shirt, a recon backpack, an elite survival systems tactical holster, and a Black Hawk reinforced web duty belt. On December 11, 2020, Ulrich messaged the Oath Keepers of Georgia signaled group chat. Gentlemen, they are basically saying that we do not have a voice that governs and secretaries of state can pass laws. Legislators don't matter. Ulrich's message that a that civil war may be necessary if Joseph R. Biden became president of the United States, adding, I made my peace with God before I joined. Another individual later messaged, remember it is not over until January 20th. Ulrich responded, and if there's a civil war, then there's a civil war. On December 14th, 2020, presidential electors from each state and the District of Columbia cast their vote in the presidential election. Rhodes messaged the Oath Keepers of Georgia signal group chat about fighting a bloody revolution civil war to defeat the traitors if Joseph R. Biden became president of the United States. Ulrich responded, sadly, it's almost American to do it the hard way. Rhodes messaged the Oath Keepers of Georgia signal chat, and we are writing a letter to Trump on what he must do and why. I may publish it on our website too. Ulrich responded, God help you on this. We must win. We must defeat these radicals. There's treason at work here. When someone committed treason, it used to mean something. You used to pay for it with your life. Later that same day, Rhodes published a letter on the Oath Keepers website advocating for the use of force to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power. Ulrich purchased two Baofeng two-way radio transceivers. Those are the little ham radio things I was just talking about earlier. Rhodes messaged the Oath Keepers of Georgia signal chat group. May we all have both the wisdom, cool head, and courage to pick our ground well and make the enemy pay dearly when our time comes. Ulrich responded, we need to unite the clans. Ship may go down any day and we need to know what the plan is at that point. Rhodes later messaged, good topic for a phone call. Ulrich messaged, yes, probably don't need to say more in a chat. On December 19th, 2020, Ulrich booked a room with multiple beds at a hotel in Washington, D.C. and encouraged other members of the Signal group chat to join him. The next day, Ulrich messaged the Oath Keepers of Georgia Signal group chat, Trump acts now, maybe a few hundred radicals die trying to burn down cities. Trump sits on his hands, Biden wins. Millions die resisting the death of the First and Second Amendment. 
On December 20th, 2020, an individual in the Oath Keepers of Georgia signal group chat who later traveled with Ulrich to Washington, D.C. and breached the Capitol grounds with Ulrich on January 6th, 2021 message, January 6th, the Great Reset, America or not. On December 20th, 2020, Joshua James messaged Ulrich on signal, I need you info for D.C., Ulrich responded with his name, address, and a photograph of himself in a shirt that read Mon Labe in Greek. On December 21st, 2020, Ulrich purchased a Maglite heavy-duty incandescent five-cell D flashlight, a DC cell flashlight holder, a medical tourniquet, a half-skull cap motorcycle helmet. On December 23rd, 2020, Rhodes published another open letter on the Oath Keepers website, referencing the certification of the electoral college vote scheduled to occur on January 6th, 2021. Rhodes explained that tens of thousands of Patriot Americans, both veterans and non-veterans, will already be in Washington, D.C., and many of us will have our mission-critical gear stowed nearby just outside D.C. Rhodes warned that he and others may have to take to arms in defense of our God-given liberty. That same day, another individual messaged the Oath Keepers of Georgia signal group chat, man, all Patriot groups are fired up right now, debating on when the time is right. Ulrich responded, the time is, will be a Ruby Ridge scenario that we can rally behind. On December 28, 2020, James added Rhodes, Mark Grodds, and others to a signal group chat that included Ulrich and others. James made Rhodes the administrator entitled the signal group chat, DC Op January 621. Rhodes later added Kelly Meggs to the DC Op January January 621 signal group chat. The picture used for the group chat was a photograph of the Capitol. On December 28, 2020, Kelly Meggs messaged DC Op January 621 signal group chat. Two reasons to go to DC. Number one, celebrate the Republic is saved. Number two, Trump's one of them, and the mission becomes a more critical and important with the repercussions beyond imagination. Florida is rolling full kits for those who have them. And they're talking about combat kits, you know, being being weaponized and, and having the gear, your 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 battle kit ready for for combat. On December 29th, Ulrich messaged the DC op, January 6, 21, signal group chat. Breaking news. DC mayor is planning to close down every road in January on January 6th. Be prepared. Kelly Meg's message, this ain't a rah-rah Trump crowd coming. That may be their biggest miscalculation. On December 30th, Kelly Meg's message to DC op, January 621 signal group chat. We want to save the republic. On December 31st, 2020, Ulrich messaged the DC op January 6th, 21 signal group chat. Someone can tell me if I'm crazy, but I'm planning on having a backpack for regular use and then a separate backpack with my ammo loadout with some basics that I can just switch to if shit is truly hits the fan blades. I will be the guy running around with the budget AR. Now, keep in mind, these are taken from chats and text messages and stuff. So a lot of times it's, you know, um, you know, done in the vernacular of a text message, which is shortened or not proper grammar. All right. 
So on January 1st, 2021, Ulrich messaged James, hey, we told to bring guns and maybe stage them in Virginia. But you are showing hotels in D.C. for Alabama. Are we bringing guns or no? If so, how will that work? James responded, we're working on a farm location. Some are bringing long rifles, some sidearms. I'm bringing sidearm. After explaining to Ulrich that others would be available with firearms, James and Ulrich had a phone conversation. Ulrich said he would be not bringing firearms. On January 4th, 2021, Ulrich traveled with James, Scrods, and others to the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area in two vehicles. James and others in his vehicle brought multiple firearms, including semi-automatic handguns, a shotgun, and ammunition. James stored the firearms at the Virginia Hotel, where he, Rhodes, Robert Minutia, and others had rooms. Ulrich stayed in the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. with Grods and others. In advance of and on January 6, 2021, Ulrich and others agreed to take part in the plan developed by Rhodes to, if called upon, use any means necessary up to and including the use of force to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power. January 6, 2021. Ulrich and co-conspirators attacked the Capitol to stop the transfer of power. The United States Capitol, which is located on 1st Street Southeast in Washington, D.C., is secured 24 hours a day by United States Capitol Police. Restrictions around the Capitol include permanent and temporary security barriers and posts manned by Capitol Police. Only authorized people with appropriate identification are allowed access inside the Capitol. On January 6, 2021, the exterior plaza of the Capitol was closed to members of the public as the joint sessions convened inside the building. During the joint sessions, elected members of the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate met to certify the vote count of the Electoral College of the 2020 presidential election. The joint session began at approximately 1 p.m. Shortly thereafter, by approximately 1.30 p.m., the House and Senate adjourned to separate chambers to resolve a particular objection. United States Vice President Michael R. Pence was present and presiding, first in the joint session, then in the Senate chamber. As the proceedings continued in both the House and Senate chambers and with Vice President Pence present and presiding over the Senate, a large crowd gathered outside the Capitol. As noted above, temporary and permanent barricades were in place around the exterior of the Capitol, and Capitol Police were present and attempting to keep the crowd away from the Capitol and the proceedings underway inside. At approximately 2 p.m., certain individuals in the crowd forced their way through, up, and over the barricades and pushed past the officers of the Capitol Police, who were attempting to keep them back. The crowd advanced to the exterior facade of the building. The crowd was not lawfully authorized to enter or remain in the building, and prior to entering the building, no members of the crowd submitted to required security screenings or weapon checks by Capitol Police officers or other authorized security officials. At such time, the joint session was still underway, and the exterior doors and windows of the Capitol were locked or otherwise secured. Members of the Capitol Police attempted to maintain order and keep the crowd from entering the Capitol. However, shortly after 2 p.m., individuals in the crowd forced entry into the Capitol, including by breaking windows and by assaulting members of law enforcement, as others in the crowd encouraged and assisted those acts. Shortly thereafter, at approximately 2.20 p.m., 
members of the House of the Representatives and Senate, including the President of the Senate, Vice President Pence, were instructed to and did evacuate the chambers. Accordingly, all congressional proceedings, including the joint sessions, were suspended. At 1.25 p.m., Rhodes messaged the DC Op January 621 signal group chat, Pence is doing nothing, as I predicted. Later at 1.38 p.m., Rhodes messaged, all I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. So the patriots are taking it into their own hands. They've had enough. At around 2 p.m., Ulrich was at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. with James Minuta, Jonathan Walden, Grods, and other individuals. Ulrich and his co-conspirators observed on a hotel television that other individuals were attacking the Capitol. James stepped to the corner of the room and participated in a telephone conversation, and Minuta became riled up and exclaimed the group needed to get to the Capitol. James then told Ulrich and others to collect their gear and prepare to head to the Capitol. At around 2.30 p.m., James Minuta, Ulrich, Walden, Grods, and other individual trapped, traveled to the Capitol on golf carts, driving around multiple barricades, including marked law enforcement vehicles. James Minuta, Ulrich, Walden, Grods, and one other individual then unlawfully entered the restricted grounds of the Capitol. Ulrich was wearing a tactical vest, radio equipment, a body-worn camera, goggles, a camouflage tactical backpack, a black neck gaiter, and an Oath Keeper's hat. James Minuta, Ulrich, Walden, Grods, and one other individual weaved through the restricted area in a military stack formation with hands on shoulders and gear. On the east side of the Capitol, Minuta berated law enforcement officers and in part demanded that they join the rioters rather than guard the Capitol. Ulrich then marched in a line with James Minuta, Walden, Grods, and one other individual up the stairs on the east side of the Capitol. At 2.57 p.m., another individual messaged the DC Op January 621 signal group chat. Nurse just said news is reporting Congress given gas masks and are trying to get out. At 3.09 p.m., Rhodes responded directly to this message. Fuck them. At 3.15 p.m., James Minuta Walden unlawfully entered the Capitol through the East Rotunda doors. At 3.22 p.m., Ulrich and Grods unlawfully entered the Capitol through the East Rotunda doors. Once inside the Capitol, Ulrich powered on the body-worn camera positioned on his chest and attached to his tactical backpack. He maneuvered his way towards the entrance to the rotunda as law enforcement officers were attempting to clear other individuals unlawfully inside the Capitol from that area. Law enforcement officers deployed chemical irritant spray and pushed Ulrich and others towards the exit of the Capitol. Ulrich regrouped with Walden near the elevators and eventually exited the Capitol. After exiting the Capitol, Ulrich gathered with Rhodes and other co-conspirators approximately 100 feet from the Capitol near the northeast corner of the building. In taking such actions, Ulrich intended to influence or affect the conduct of the United States government and to retaliate against the United States government. He accomplished this by intimidating and coercing government personnel who were participating in or supporting the congressional proceeding, including members of Congress, congressional staff, and law enforcement officers with the Capitol Police and Metropolitan Police Department. 
Because of the dangerous circumstances caused by the unlawful entry into the Capitol by Ulrich and others, including the danger posed by individuals who had entered the Capitol without any security screening or weapons checks, congressional proceedings could not resume until after law enforcement had removed every unauthorized occupant from the Capitol and confirmed the building was secured. Accordingly, the proceedings did not resume until approximately 8 p.m. on January 6, 2021, after the building had been secured. Vice President Pence remained in the Capitol from the time he was evacuated from the Senate chamber until the session resumed. The attack on the Capitol resulted in substantial damage, requiring the expenditure of more than $1.4 million for repairs. After January 6, 2021, Ulrich and co-conspirators continued to prepare to forcibly oppose the lawful transfer of power. On January 6, 2021, at 7.30 p.m., Rhodes messaged the DC op January 621 signal chat. Thousands of ticked off patriots spontaneously marched on the Capitol. You ain't seen nothing yet. Rhodes later added on the DC op January 621 signal chat. Patriots entering their own Capitol to send a message to the traitors is nothing compared to what is coming. On January 7th, 2021, another individual messaged the DC op January 621 signal group chat. Did any of our OKs or Oath Keepers actually go inside the Capitol yesterday? If so, dot, dot, dot. Ulrich responded, yes, I can confirm, but I'm new and I want to be cautious. Please speak to Hydro, referring to James's signal moniker. On January 10th, 2021, Ulrich messaged James on signal. We heard Stuart might be disseminating information to all of us. Is that true? James responded, he's gone comms dark. I'm with him. On January 11th, 2021, Ulrich messaged James on signal that he and Rhodes need to stay below the radar. On February 7th, 2021, Ulrich messaged James on signal with a news article attached that included Ulrich's face in Washington, D.C. on or around January 6th. James responded, remove that. On February 11th, 2021, Ulrich replied, I did. James later messaged, too late. Don't do that again, sir, Ulrich replied, copy. So that's that's basically it. And then it, it goes into a limited nature of factual basis. So, so we're getting a better idea of what had transpired. And again, I just want to relate that this these types of actions I had seen happening more and more and more um, as I had my exposure with the Oath Keepers and my time there. Um, granted, I was just a writing geek who was, um, you know, covering things at first and then creating stories and such. Um, um, and well, here's what I'll say is Stuart's really, really good at towing the line. Um, the other thing he's really good at now, I, I find this kind of interesting. Um, if you go to the Oath Keepers website, there's actually a legal defense fund up now that's uh, only been, let's see, when did this go up? I don't see a place where it's gone, the actual date that it went up. Um, but what it what it reads, and it's it's gives and go.com. Uh I'm I'm assuming that they weren't able to use like uh, a GoFundMe type thing. Oh, here it is. It's, so this is 22 days old, and they're trying to raise $250,000. Now I find this kind of ironic because 
one of the things I had witnessed Stuart do time and time again was to offer legal help for people that get in trouble when they listen to his calls of action. Now, you'll notice during the January 6th event, Stuart went nowhere near the inside of the Capitol. He was not seen there. And that's a repeating cycle that we, we've seen time and time again, whether it's, you know, when he first started uh, working with the Proud Boys up in the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, he, he was always decked out and, and almost like a, a cosplay outfit for um, the cameras, you know, and his tactical gear. And he had his little gloves that would have the, the plastic knuckles and stuff. And, um, you know, and then hand shields at times where he, he was very much trying to capture the opticals of being one of those frontline fighters and, you know, leading the charge. Um, but if you go back and look, he, he never actually did it. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why he had such a falling out with the Proud Boys is, you know, the Proud Boys seem to be much more um, game to, to engage and, and actually participate in street brawls and, and, you know, violent activities. And Stuart's fine with kind of encouraging his membership to do that um, and, and do those things. But when he does it, he, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He always knows exactly where the line is. He can't cross legally. And he knows this because he's a Yale educated attorney. Um, and we've seen time and time again, where he has offered to help um, legally with people in different interactions. This goes back way back before my time with the Oath Keepers, but I saw it up close and personal with, you know, say Jerry DeLamis and um, <clears throat> Todd Engel and, and then Eric Parker, um, people who had gotten themselves in trouble, kind of following the, the motivation that Stuart put out there. Um, and, you know, he always had, had implied that he would be there to help with his, you know, um, Yale educated attorney superpowers, but never did. He actually lost his law license and ability to practice law in the state of Montana due to several cases of him straight up abandoning his legal clients. And, you know, he, he, he talked real big about always being there to help and never did. And now it's ironic that he's got a, uh, um, a fundraiser campaign. And again, this is with Gives and Go, G-I-V-E-S-E-N-D-G-O.com, um, where you can give money, you can share it out, or you can uh, do a prayer request. And that's also kind of funny because Stuart is, he may present himself as being a big Christian person, but the truth is he is not. He, he couldn't give a fuck. And that's true of a lot of the things he proclaims. He, he's really good at, at the optics and messaging um, when it comes to his base and those those people that really help fund the Oath Keepers through donations. And this is kind of what I get at in my book is that it, it really doesn't matter what he truly believes. because and, and what he truly believes, I believe, is pretty far off the mark from what he presents himself as believing. But really, he was just interested in finding a way to make money to to feed his ego and to um, create this this sense of power really for him. It was almost an ego thing where um, he wanted to be this clandestine, um, you know, uh, paramilitary figure. 
um, that was going to rise up and help save the country. Not that it, it really needed saving. It's just, you know, he, he found he could tap into these conspiracy theories, whether it's the Jade Helm conspiracy theories that he kind of started the Oath Keepers around, um, or, you know, the, the, the QAnon deep state um, conspiracy theories that really fueled in large part the Capitol insurrection. Um, the good news is he's only raised $12,000, $12,131 as I'm recording this now, um, in 22 days out of, um, 250,000. And I'm just going to read this to you cause it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, it's not ironic. It's not funny. It's ironic. This fund is set up as a legal defense fund for Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers is a national organization made up primarily of first responders that volunteer their time to provide security at national events and declare disasters. They provide security during the Hurricane Harvey cleanups, which he, to be fair, he did do um, to a certain extent, um, as well as over a dozen other declared disasters. In those situations, he worked alongside the National Guard and local law enforcement agencies for each of those disasters. Now, that's a little misleading. I mean, yes, they may have worked, say, a block or two over from those other um, actual agencies, but I, I don't think they ever truly ever plugged in other than very rural areas where they might work with a sheriff's department that were aligned with, say, Richard Mack's constitutional sheriffs. Um, so, yeah, in addition, they have provided security to political speakers who face real threats of violence for speaking at political events and college campuses. The ironic part about that is oftentimes it's it's Stewart's messaging that's whipping up that, you know, that kind of reaction on those college campuses is kind of a, you know, creating the problem and presenting a solution type scenario. Um, they were actually providing security in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021 for multiple individuals and groups scheduled to speak that day on stages around the area of the Capitol. Well, yeah, they may have done that, but then obviously, according to uh, what we just read, um, once the Capitol started uh, getting raided, they all got in their, their golf carts and they ran right down there to it. So he's being charged along with other members of the Oath Keepers with seditious conspiracy and numerous other federal crimes regarding the incidents that took place at the United States Capitol on January 6, 2021. He's facing up to 20 years in prison if convicted of the alleged offenses. Several members of the Oath Keepers have their trials scheduled for April 19, 2022, Stuart Rhodes, along with his indicted co-defendants, have their trial scheduled for July 11, 2022. Each trial is scheduled to take place in Washington, D.C. in at least approximately four weeks, and last approximately four weeks. Stuart Rhodes needs to be able to present a very thorough and aggressive defense to the alleged charges. So again, I just threw that in there because I thought it was ironic that he's now asking for help in with financial support and, and legal help. And he has left so many people to rot in prison, to have their lives just destroyed and ab abandon them straight, just straight up abandon them. Um, you know, karma's a bitch. It really is. Um, you know, anyway, I, I, I wanted to talk about this and, and do this on, because you know, I've had, I, I get reached out to by documentary film crews and news crews on a regular basis. I mean, at least once a month, I have a major documentary film crew reach out to me. Um, I have 
journalists of all of of all stripes that that reach out to me. And because my mind is so into creating this book that I, I have to have done by August 31st uh, this summer, I'm you know my life has become a series of whiteboards. I have four large whiteboards in this room that I'm in right now, recording just you know charting out the different chapters, putting together timelines, you know, really trying to dial in on the narrative nonfiction piece that I've been working on. And so when these things come up. Um, you know, I thought it would be good to kind of give my perspective as to what I think about the, the, um, trial as it moves forward out of the, the legal proceedings. Um, and, and maybe no one wants to hear it. Um, that's okay. You don't have to listen, but, um, just, it helps me get my mind back into that, that kind of era that I was in and walked away from what, five years ago and, uh, really kind of just cut it out of my life and blocked it off. And now I'm trying to, to do what I can to make right, you know, going on these speaking tours and, and uh, you know, talking with different nonprofit think tank types, just trying to figure out ways to like, A, talk about how all of this kind of came about, give my perspective as to like what led up to where we are now, what led up to, you know, how we got to a January 6th here in America, but more importantly, how can we avoid it in the future? How can we try to find some unity in such a divided country? How can we start listening to each other and talking about real things, kind of get out of our echo chambers and begin some real conversations? Um, so, you know, that's kind of my motivation. Anyway, that's all I've got for today. I did record a weekend rant, um, opinion, you know, kind of a not so newsy type episode, but this one was about the rise of podcasting, specifically in Estes Park, Colorado, how the um, pandemic may have played into that and and the changing mediascape a little bit. And I had on as a guest, uh, Randy Silkwood, who has the Reframed podcast, another local podcast here in Estes Park. Now it's it, it's quite a bit different than mine. You know, he, he, he tackles more of the spiritual and healing and, and self-improvement sphere of things. Um, but, you know, he's another podcaster here. We're both here in Estes. And uh, so thought it would be interesting to talk about kind of the rise of podcasting here in Estes Park, Colorado. All right. Well, that's the show for today. I'll be back tomorrow with that episode. Um, I also have some new Colorado Open Records Act uh, requests that I've gotten a hold of uh, with the uh, Estes Park School District Uh happenings that i'll be releasing later this week and uh thanks for joining me again i'm jason van tatenhove and you've been listening to the colorado switchblade i'll talk with you again soon